Hi, everybody. Welcome to Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Kazuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the governor, the governor Polis's meeting with President Trump, where he discussed reopening of the state and the need for more testing. Patty Calhoun from Westward, what'd you think our governor uh, made, had a, uh, what I think looked like a productive meeting with the president, uh, even though they've differed on different politics, it seemed on this one they got along. What was your take? Well, as productive as those meetings have been in the White House, as we know, there's been a lot of backpedaling, there's been a lot of changed minds, but I think Governor Polis held his own. He looked pretty good, especially compared to how Colorado has looked lately because of all the C&C cafe footage that had been all over the news on Sunday. They could have served, probably, Polis was biting his tongue through most of that meeting with Trump. I'm sure they could put it on the menu at C&C. <laughs> David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, what did you think of uh, how Polis handled the situation and the response from President Trump? Well, I think, as usual, Polis's style and tone were professional and mature. And, of course, that disappointed some of the professional trolls in the world, uh, like Don Lemon of CNN. But Polis was right not to get into an argument with Trump over secondary issues like email vote or uh, uh, mail-in voting and, and things like that. And but Polis successfully worked with Trump uh, to focus on state-federal cooperation, which is what's uh, the appropriate topic for, for why he went to the White House in the first place. Eric Sonnen, political analyst. It feels like times like this, this is one of the few times uh, a, uh, a head of a state like the governor, a governor polis, is going to have to put some of the politics aside if that disagrees with a president so he can get the job done. And it was nice to also see the response from President Trump. How did you feel it all went? I agree. I think there's a time and a place for conflict and there's a time and a place to be cordial. This was the latter. It always accrues to a governor's benefit to be sitting there next to uh, the President of the United States, and I think that accrued to Jared Polis's benefit. I was a little surprised that uh, Governor Polis didn't take the opportunity to offer President Trump a Colorado-branded mask, since the President appears to be short of masks, but uh, all in all, it was a good meeting. And Marie Aberger from Be Clear Communications. Uh, Marie, as you look at the situation, how did uh, both of uh, these uh, uh, folks work, both uh, Governor Polis and President Trump. What was your takeaway? I think this is exactly what should be happening. You know, I remember when I was at the White House during Hurricane Sandy and Chris Christie was regularly meeting with President Obama, joined him on a trip throughout New Jersey. That's what should happen during a time of crisis. State leaders should come together with the White House, no matter who's there, to be able to advocate for their residents, get the resources we need, and also say, I'm going to hold you accountable to do your job. Well, let's get to it. Castle Rock CNC Coffee and Kitchen made national headlines this week when the restaurant defied state orders by offering dine-in services last Sunday. Tri-County Health Department and state officials shut down the restaurant on Monday. Uh, Patty, as, as you alluded to in the first part, uh, this made huge headlines across the country. It wasn't so much that just a restaurant opened uh, defying orders. It was the fact that it was packed. Nobody was wearing a mask. Well, very, very few people were wearing a mask. It was basically as if this was Mother's Day 2019, which I think seems why we got the reaction. Uh, how have you felt that this has uh, been handled by health officials in the state? Uh, was it an appropriate reaction? Oh, I think the reaction was completely appropriate. CNC Cafe is not the only restaurant that has opened in Colorado. And in fact, Mesa County restaurants have the permission to open 
observing certain social distancing rules, 30% occupancy, because that county applied for a variance with the state and got it. Other counties are now applying for variations with this, uh, variances with the state. For example, Pitkin County is hoping to get restaurants open for Memorial Day. Same thing, 30% occupancy, masks, very strict rules. What we saw in Castle Rock was a free-for-all. No one in El Paso County had applied for a variance. You saw It was like a Mother's Day 2019 combined with a biker rally at Sturgis. There was no social distancing. It was clearly unsafe, and they hadn't applied. It was a defiance of the law. We have shooters in Garfield County, also on the Western Slope, also open. It is, doesn't have a variance yet, but it's at least observing the 30% rules and the social dis- distancing rules and mask rules that we've, disco- we've discovered are important. So restaurants need to get back to work, get, get back to business. But how about following the rules? And Patrick Neville, did he really need to go there, tweet about it, and suggest people drive 100 miles an hour when they're going to CNC Cafe? So the fact that it's been shut down by the state, by Tri-County Health, will have to jump through some hoops to reopen. That's only fair. They broke the rules. David, as you look at this situation, and there's clearly the political angle to this, and then also the idea that there are, I don't think there's a lot of folks out there saying that restaurants shouldn't uh, be try to reopen soon. I know I'm a person that's very anxious to try to get back to a restaurant, but I also want to do it safely. And I wanted to do it safely last year. I wanted health code restrictions. I wanted to be sure everyone was washed their hands way before the coronavirus. I was hoping there were state rules in place that restaurants had to comply to, and most of those that were open did. So I, I can understand both sides here, but it seemed that uh, the CNC kitchen went too far in saying no rules apply to them. Um, but do you see this in a different way? No, I, I'd agree with you and, and Patty. I mean, restaurants should have already been allowed to reopen statewide, but it should be with appropriate safety precautions. You know, restaurants are not, especially ones just owned by a, a single family like this one, are not highly capitalized where they've got a lot of uh, reserve money to uh, stop operating for months and months uh, without going out of business. So a, a lot of them are, are on the brink of bankruptcy right now. It, it is time for reopening, but it's also time for reopening with safety precautions, like having spacing between the tables, like encouraging the diners to, to wear masks uh, when they're, they're not eating, when they're, they're, they're waiting for their, their order. You know, there was a good study in, in Quillette, which is one of the, the best online journals, uh, that, that gave a summary of some research um, out of Wuhan, China, and, and super spreader events. As it turns out, it's not proximity alone that is that causes uh, spreading at the highest rate. It's when you have loud conversation uh, that, that results in droplets that then get circulated by the indoor uh, air circulation system. So if you're all sitting at the opera or at the movies quietly and not talking, that's much less of a danger than when you have people in a, you know, a, a dense business luncheon in a loud restaurant where everybody's talking loud and that that does spread droplets. Uh, so I, I think the restaurant was was understandable for wanting to reopen, uh, but should have done a much better job on safety precautions. Eric, let's take a look at the political angle of this, because it's clearly with uh, 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 Minority Leader Patrick Neville uh, tweeting about it, Facebooking about it, saying he was taking selfies there and trying to make the political point. But I don't know how productive that's going to be because 
I understand, and I think there's a lot of people on both sides of the aisle that would like to see um, a, a speeded up reopening. There's businesses that we all go to that we want to see more open, but I think all, well, I think the majority of folks also want to see that opened up safely. So there, there has to be that kind of combination to politically align yourself with pretend this never happened seems silly to me, but maybe there's more value in it than I think. What do you think? Well, I think Patrick Neville was obviously trying to play to his base, but I think there might be a misreading, Dominic, on even where the base is on, on, on these issues. I'm previewing my column that will run this Sunday, but there's this notion that there's two sides to every argument, and indeed there are two sides or more to every argument, but that doesn't mean both sides have equal weight. If you look at polling, Colorado-specific or nationally, about closure and being cautious about reopening as opposed to reopening too soon. Even just among Republicans, you get margins of about two to one coming down on the more cautious side as opposed to the speedier side. When the issue becomes mandates about mass, that margin, even again, just among Republicans, forget Democrats, forget unaffiliated, uh, goes up to about three to one. So I think there is a misread here even on where most Trump voters, most Republicans are on some of these issues. Real quickly to the scene last Sunday, Mother's Day, it was just an open, outright act of defiance. Good for the governor, good for the health department, good for Tri-County Health to shut them down. There are also three restaurants, I believe, in Calhan, Colorado, a small community east of Colorado Springs that are now open in open defiance of, of regulations and orders. And I don't know why they're being allowed to exist, I mean, to continue in business. But um, at some point, government, if rules are going to mean anything, you have to enforce them. Marie, uh, how do you look at this? There's both the reaction of what happened last Sunday, then there's the political angle to it, and really a broad spectrum in between. What's your take? Yeah, I think the political angle is summed up best by a phrase I saw of, uh, people are often mistaking inconvenience for oppression. And I think that's what Patrick Neville's little show was there all about. You know, we all want to get back to brunch. We all would love to be out to eat. But if we can just do some reasonable minor concessions, we're going to get back faster. Wear our masks, little, little bit apart. These are inconveniences. This is not oppression. Uh, let's get our restaurants back open sooner by behaving a little better. This week, a federal judge ruled that the Weld County Jail is violating the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution, which prohibits cruel or unusual punishment. The judge ruled that the jail must implement methods to help prevent the spread of COVID-19, including providing masks, increasing sanitation, and implementing social distancing as much as possible. Uh, David, you are not only our esteemed lawyer at the table, virtual table in this case, uh, but uh, you've kept up on issues like this. What do we need to know about this legal decision? Well, there's a, a general rule, as uh, you said, based on the Eighth Amendment, that when the government confines somebody, like in, in jail or prison, uh, there have to be some some basic standards uh, to not expose those people to a, a additional risks of, of disease. And as the court said in this case, the sheriff had already provided masks and cleaning supplies, had set up quarantines for inmates who tested positive, set up quarantines for new inmates, and he kept the jail locked down for 23 hours a day for, for social distancing. But the court also said that the sheriff has to go further by isolating medically vulnerable in, inmates. And that what that means is those who are at higher risk uh, because of age, severe obesity, diabetes, asthma, and so on. 
And of course, the sheriff said he's going to comply and pursuant to the court order will be reporting uh, progress on to the court uh, a, on next Thursday. Eric, in this situation, it seemed like Weld County made the headlines, but I got to believe this is an issue for every jail in every community across the entire country. It's not as if uh, just Weld County was doing it wrong, as David explained, and it's just a matter of details here. Uh, do you think this issue is going to grow bigger before it gets better? Well, hopefully we're, you know, some locales at least are maybe past the worst unless we have a second peak here. So hopefully it doesn't grow bigger in that regard. But your point is absolutely correct. Jails, in in a way like nursing homes and other confined facilities, are little petri dishes for a virus of this kind. And of course, extra precautions have to be taken. I really think the headline here, if I can be flip a little bit, is that uh, there's been a transition going on in Colorado where a lot of the epicenter, the epicenter of a lot of news and craziness has been Boulder County for so long. And now it's sort of over recent weeks and months shifted north and east a little bit to Weld County, whether you're talking about the whole fracking issue, whether you're talking about former Representative Galindo, whether you're talking about Ken Buck and some of his antics, Weld County is now regularly the headline of the Colorado News. Maria, as you look at this, does it become maybe uh, a flashpoint or even something that, hey, other jails, other communities saying we, we don't want this kind of headline for our community, does it become maybe a proactive situation? I hope that what, that's what happens. I mean, this coronavirus crisis has really showed who do we place value on their lives. We have President Trump and his staff getting tested every single day. Meanwhile, these inmates are having to fight for hand sanitizer and a mask. We should value all lives. None of these inmates were given a death sentence, and so they shouldn't have to be exposed to a life-threatening disease. But even if I can't convince you on that value of a human life argument, we should care about this the same way we care about any confined space. Look at what we had to do with cruise ships. If inmates get sick, prison guards get sick. If prison guards get sick, their families get sick. And if their families are sick, this is back spreading again in the community. We should be focused on how to keep every single person in Colorado safe. Well, Patty, I'm not sure if any of the folks in Will County think they're on a carnival cruise, but uh, what do you think of that idea? Do we need to be thinking more broadly as a state about how we are handling confined spaces that we control, like jails? Well, I think the people in at El Charo in Greeley in Weld County think they're on a cruise ship because that's another restaurant that's opened against the rules. There's no question prisons have been a hot spot here. The downtown Denver Detention Center is one of the outbreak sites. Out in Sterling in Logan County, which otherwise is doing pretty well with cases, huge outbreaks in Ster- uh, at the prison there. But Weld County is one where in March we had Sheriff Steve Reams uh, tweeting about socialism and worrying about socialism when, in fact, he should have been worried about some of the inmates in his facility early on in March, including one 78-year-old man who definitely had symptoms of COVID-19. He was released and two days later died. So those are the kinds of issues they have to pay attention to. Every prison, every jail is trying to let prisoners out or at least have have fewer people there so they can social distance, but it's a little too little too late in Weld County. So I'm glad they're going to court on Thursday. They're obeying now, but we'd have less of a problem if they'd obeyed it sooner. Last week, State Attorney General Phil Weiser announced that he will take the Federal Education Department to court 
over its new rules about sexual assaults in college campuses. The new Title IX rules strengthen the rights of the accused, reduce legal liabilities of schools, and narrow the scope of incidences that schools must investigate. Uh, Eric, this has been a uh, flashpoint across the country for uh, several years now. Um, what kind of opportunity does Phil Weiser have here to, uh, it's not fighting City Hall, it's fighting the U.S. government, um, but is, is he tilting at windmills or is this a strong move by Colorado's AG? Well, Dominic, it's not only a national flashpoint, it's also a personal flashpoint for way too many people. Uh, this one is personal for me. I know the issue all too well. Our family has been touched by it. We Obviously, the subject du jour is an epidemic. Well, there's another epidemic that's been going on in this country and uh, for many years, and that is an epidemic of sexual assault on college campuses, often fueled by alcohol abuse uh, and what have you. Let me just start by saying I truly don't know the answer here and where the balance of rights are. Uh, I guess for lack of a better answer, yes, you always have to fall back on the presumption of innocence. Yes, you always have to fall back on due process. But that said, there has to be some way of redressing and addressing this epidemic on college campuses. I believe that's what the former protocols put in place under the Obama administration were designed to do. Obviously, Betsy DeVos, Donald Trump, the conservatives now in power are trying to roll those back. I'll end where I started. I truly don't know the answer, but we need to acknowledge that there's an epidemic out there. Marie, you have a, a, a unique uh, perspective here because part of the rules that have been changed were done in the Obama administration, and you were part of the communications department within the Obama administration. So uh, as you saw this go down last week, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I found this pretty horrifying. And I think one of the worst parts is that this is one of the very first thing Betsy DeVos did when she came into office under the Trump administration. This didn't start last week. She started this right when she stepped into that position. She looked at everything happening across our education system, the skyrocketing college debt our students face, and she said, where I wanna focus my time first is weakening sexual assault protections. That blows my mind. And I'm really glad that Phil Weiser is out there fighting against this decision. I think one of the worst things that uh, these new rules would allow is live cross-examination on campus hearings. That's basically a green light to re-traumatize assault survivors. You know, 90 to 95% of assaults on college campuses already go unreported. This is going to make it way less likely that women can feel safe to come forward. Patty, it's not only a hot issue uh, on college campuses and clearly a federal rule, but now you have a state attorney general saying that he's going to fight it. I don't know how viable that fight is, but what do you make of the fact that our state's attorney general is involved? It's good that he stepped forward and wants to consider it. The pendulum swung too far with Betsy DeVos's plan, but there are certainly cases of false accusations. We've written about them many times, unfair to those who are accused. That's after decades of being unfair to victims or the people who bring forward the complaint. So what we have to hope for is a very fair process for both the accused and the alleged victim it's so hard, it's so tricky, and sadly, I don't think it's gonna be solved by social distancing, but it might be the only really good thing about social distancing. David, I alluded to before, your uh, esteemed lawyer at the table. Uh, you talked about this in your Disgrace of the Week last week. What are your thoughts expounding on the situation? 
Well, let's look at the, the track record. The state schools that have already used the biased system that Weiser wants to uh, reinstate uh, have already had to pay financial settlements to students they victimized with false, bogus accusations. Colorado State University, Fort Collins, Colorado State University, Pueblo, Colorado School of Mines, CU Colorado Springs. In the case of Norris versus CU Boulder, the federal district court found there was, there was evidence that CU withheld notice of the investigation, denied the student a hearing, prevented cross-examination of the accuser, prevented questioning of witnesses, unreasonably denied the student access to the investigation file, allowed the administrator who expelled the student to conduct an administrative review of her own prior determination, and according to the federal district court, all this was in the context of evidence of pervasive anti-male gender bias in the CU administration. It is a disgrace to due process in the U.S. Constitution for the attorney general to defend such a rotten system as that. Let's get a quick take on this last one. Mayor Hancock announced on Thursday that all city workers will take must take eight furlough days between now and the end of the calendar year. The move will save the city $16 million. Denver's facing a projected $226 million revenue loss due to the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, Marie, we start with you, and we'll have an additional related headline that came later in the day that all the city council members, except Candy Say DeVaca, will join the furlough. Uh, so a lot to crack open here, but it's a quick take. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not sure what else the city can do, but it just is devastating that we could be laying off teachers, local officials, fire, police during a pandemic. And the thing that can happen is our federal leaders can do something. Senator Cory Gardner right now can call on his close buddy, Mitch McConnell, and say, don't let cities and states go bankrupt. Give us federal funding in the next round of relief. Patty, you saw the, the issue. Eight furlough days is nothing to sneeze at, especially the city council's involved, except for one. What do you think? Well, it's no surprise that we're doing this. I mean, other other cities have already done it. Aurora did much more drastic cuts. Loveland, Greeley, Fort Collins. Law enforcement won't have to take it because of union rules. Eight days, everybody is seeing that in companies across the country. I think we'll be able to make it. It's unfortunate. It is ironic that Candy C. DeBaca, of all these city council people, is not taking the voluntary furlough, although she says she's going to put the money towards needy people in her district. So we'll see. David, your take on the move from the city of Denver and the move by its council people. Well, it's a good start. Other cities have already gone further, as Denver's almost certainly going to have to do. Boulder furloughed 740 employees uh, through late June. Aurora has 576 employees indefinitely furloughed. I, I think the idea of, of federal funding is uh, chimerical. There, the federal government doesn't have any extra money. All the all it does is just print money and cause inflation or issue bonds. So we get even deeper into debt into China, which is part of the problem that, that caused this in the, in the first place. Eric, wrap it up for us. I think this is just a taste of things to come. Eight days. They're probably, you know, at some point you're going to have to look deeper. Are there personnel that are, whose jobs are no longer needed? Are there uh, some permanent layoffs and furloughs? I don't say that with any relish. But this is just a tip of the iceberg, particularly if the economy stays depressed. Candy Cedabaca, once again, is shooting herself in the foot. The question she asks about what she alleges is bloat in the budget are valid questions and about where the uh, cuts are being made. Those are valid questions. But she takes the attention away from those questions by her own antics. Well, it's time for a very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. 
As always, Miss Calhoun, please start us off. Well, I've already used Patrick Neville, who is my disgrace. So I will point to my lovely new office. Moral of the story, do not move during a pandemic or be on television. I am not in a storage closet, as people were concerned about last week. Feel free to send me decor. <laughs> I think when people see how your office is eventually decorated, they'll be very happy. David, the- you're dis- <laughs> David, your disgrace of the week. Another way that overregulation is hurting everybody. We have farm, uh, farmers, ranchers slaughtering hogs and, and cattle uh, because they can't get them to market, even though there's solid demand for the consumers. And the reason is the, they have to be sent to certain slaughterhouses. And of course, that's the choke point. And the slaughterhouses have to slow down their operations for the safety of their employees. It's only federal law that prevents a ranch from selling uh, it, its uh, hogs or, or beef directly to a, a restaurant or a hotel, or, or, or someplace like that. Uh, Representative Thomas Massey, uh, Republican of Sherry Pingree, Democrat of Maine, have introduced the Prime Act to get rid of this ridiculous regulation that creates an unnecessary choke point in the delivery of, of food to the consumer. Eric, your disgrace of the week. Well, we've already talked about both of them, but how about the dynamic duo who have nothing in common in terms of their politics, but both spent this week with some pretty questionable behavior, the dynamic duo of Patrick Neville and Candy Cedabaca. Marie, your disgrace of the week. My disgrace is that somehow in the year 2020, women's access to birth control is still back in front of the Supreme Court. Can I say something nice about somebody rather quickly? Patty. Tomorrow is Colorado Public Lands Day. There's a new public land, although it's not open yet, Fisher's Peak, but all the state parks are open. And yes, you can go more than 10 miles away. (laughs) David. The Korean baseball organization, which is playing good professional games, you can watch in the United States on ESPN. And they've got former players from the United from the major leagues and uh, American and Mexican players and others. There is a, a 14 hour time difference. So probably it'll be easier for Colorado viewers to watch the games on replay six games a week. Uh, so at least there's some sports coming back, not to mention the German Bundesliga for soccer uh, starts tomorrow. Eric. Polis today, Friday, is a day of remembrance in Colorado for all those who have lost their lives to this COVID virus. Over uh, eight, uh, over a thousand Coloradans now, over 80,000, 86,000 Americans, over 300,000 people around the globe. It's appropriate to remember those who have paid the sacrifice for this particular virus. Anne Marie. I'm one of those lucky people who've had a quarantine birthday, and I just want to give a shout out to all the creative ways people have made uh, friends and family feel loved over a lot of Zoom happy hours and virtual celebrations. It's pretty uh, remarkable the things people have come up with. Well, speaking of birthdays, happy birthday, Marie, and happy birthday to one of my best friends, Matt Arevalo, a big fan of the show. Uh, his birthday is tomorrow. He's, he's such a good friend of mine. He turns older uh, before I do a month later. So uh, happy birthday, Matt. And to all of you watching at home, thank you so much for joining us. For everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.